Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, good morning, church. And those joining online and those that will watch us later, hello to you. We're so excited to be in worship with us and that you're here to join us here today. Well, as we get started here, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And Lord, especially as we share the words today, may you speak through me. May the words that are here today not be eloquence or superior wisdom, but your power made perfect in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us, we've, uh, we're on the second week of a new sermon series. Yay! You guys missed it. You guys, I need to retrain you. We're on the second of a new sermon series. There we go. There we go. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I got to say, uh, as, as I'm here today and I look around, many of you have returned to your normal seats, and I'm, I'm seeing you. Some of you are throwing me off, though, sitting in some places that I normally don't see you. So uh, you're throwing me off as I look around, but it's good to be with you here today. We are in the second, as I mentioned, a new sermon series, and it is uh, entitled The Magic Inside. What we're doing is we're looking at some of my favorite children's books uh, and looking at them, but then jumping off from there into scripture of something that's teaching us in scripture. And our story this week is none other than the great classic, which you've never heard of, called I'm the Biggest Thing in the Ocean. Now, if you've never read I'm the Biggest Thing in the Ocean, and I told you before that, you know, most of these books I read when, you know, my kids are real young. I have three-year-old twins that don't know this. And uh, we read a lot of books at night before bedtime. And this is one book, though, I don't, I've never read to them. And the reason why is because I don't own the book. It's actually a book that I encountered when my, uh, my nieces and nephews were a lot younger. So it's been like 10 years since I've, I've seen this book, at least, or so. And uh, it was something that they had on their house. And I noticed that I'd always go over and look at it and read it and just always got a kick out of it. So this is the one book that I'm sharing with you that my kids actually don't know. And, you know, I was kind of, I was, you know, as a young man in my 20s at the time, it wasn't really like you go out and buy children's books. So I just, no, no, I never got around to buying it, but maybe I should since I'm preaching on it. But it's called I'm the Biggest Thing in the Ocean. And here's how it goes. There's this octopus. You can see in the front cover there. And he's going around. He's looking. And he basically compares himself to the whole ocean. So he, he goes up to this fish and he goes, hmm, I'm bigger than that fish. And he goes up to, you know, the clam, and he goes, hmm, I'm bigger than this clam. He goes up to the rock, I'm bigger than this rock. He goes up to just everything he encounters, right? Every squid, every shark, everything. He just goes, I'm bigger than that, I'm bigger than that, I'm bigger than that. And then he thinks for a minute, and he goes, you know what? And on the page it says, he says these words exactly, I'm the biggest thing in the ocean. And right as he's saying that in the background is this big gaping mouth with teeth, right? Coming right out, right? Has no clue it's coming. And the next thing, it's the, the big mouth has closed. It's actually a big, huge whale, right? And his little tentacles are like sticking out of the mouth as like the whale goes along and stuff like that. And the next scene, he's inside the whale, right? So you, know, you think of Pinocchio, right? Kind of scene set. Except there's like all the turtles and other things that the whale has swallowed, like all swimming around, having fun. And you know, at first he goes, whoa, what just happened, right? <laughs> And then he looks around and he thinks to himself, hmm, seem thinking. And he goes, ha, I'm the biggest thing in this whale, right? 
and the book ends, right? That's the whole book. I just, you know, that's what it is. And what I love about that book is the idea of perspective, right? And how oftentimes we get boggled down with so many things in life, but that idea of perspective can be so powerful. I mean, this morning, you and I could turn on our water, right? Most people probably had some type of air conditioning in your house for when it gets hot later today. You, you know, you and I had food probably on our table for at least three square meals or however you eat. You know, some of you are snackers, so you just snack all day, right? Whatever it is that you do, but for the most part, you weren't hurting in any of these. And yet, so many of the trials of life come our way and all these different things that it's perspective, right? Because all of a sudden, if you ever go visit somewhere where those things aren't, you can't take them for granted, you realize perspective, right? And that idea of perspective of no matter what the situation, whether you're in the ocean or inside the whale, there's a power of two perspective in how you look at the world and how the story that you tell yourself, especially in that moment. Well, that brings us to our verse here today. And it's a very simple verse, very short verse. And it's a beautiful verse. It's in one of the greatest chapters of all the Bible, Romans chapter 8. But specifically, Romans chapter 8, 28, this idea. And I want you to think of it from terms of perspective on your life. And would it make a difference? It says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Just let that sink in for a minute again. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his to his purpose. Now, as you hear this passage and you think about it, the beauty of it, it really kind of gives that perspective, doesn't it? And you really think about what it's trying to teach us and, and mold us in this image. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God orchestrated every event in your life to happen the way that it did. It just says that whatever event comes your way, God can use. Not only can he use it, he is using it. And not only is he using it for his own glory or something like that that Scripture attests to, he's using it for the good of those who love him. Everything. All things. All the time. Now, of course, that's a beautiful verse, and it's just wonderful, and I love it. You know, it's one of those things you just cling to. And it's a great verse on that sunny day, you know, where life is great. You're walking down the street. You got that, you know, sunshine in your pocket kind of feeling, and you're just kind of going along ready to dance. But, of course, everyday life's not like that, right? And every single day, you know, it's easy to look at this verse and wax poetic about all the different great things of life. But, of course, life throws a whole lot at us, doesn't it? And it's one thing to have this verse when life's going well and things are working your way. It's another thing when life comes at you so differently. And can it really mean all things, that God's working through all things? If you're like me, that verse gets challenged pretty quickly in your head because you start thinking of, well, what about that? Or this? Or that? Or this experience in my life? And in fact, when I look at it, I, you know, I was thinking about you know, life is just so random sometimes, so it just it seems like just roll of the dice, and just silly things happen, right? And it's God using those silly things. And how, right? You know, explain to me, God, how? Or is, is the pain and the trials of life, or the fear that we experience of the things that are very real, very real possibilities, and sometimes even happen to us, how's God using those? Or, of course, even the horrendous things that we hope would just pass by, but it comes knocking on our door, and the great big wolf meets us when we open that door, whether we like it or not, and it's there. And all of a sudden, those ideas of death and hurt and pain are very near and dear. How is God using those? 
And of course, it's easy as a pastor to wax poetic. I could tell, sit up here and tell other people's stories and all that stuff. But I think this verse to have power, you really got to apply it and think about how it intersects with your own life. And so just to let you know, the rest of this sermon is going to be very autobiographical here today. Your pastor's going to lay some stuff out there, right, of kind of soul-bearing things, but that's okay, right? It's okay. You guys are looking at me like, no, it's not okay, pastor. Don't do this. No, okay. We're going to lay it out there, right? And I got three stories for you and uh, just how God, as I look at how God has used these three stories to shape the story of God using all good things or all things for the good of those who love him. Story number one is this. I, I haven't shared too much with you before, but when I was a young man, my family had pets, right? And we always had the dog, right? You know, I had the dog. But my, somewhere along the way, my dad got it in his head, we should have a parrot, right? And so we got a parrot. And I was too young to really remember this. I've, I grew up, I, we always had parrots. But we got one parrot, and it was a, a green Amazon yellow nape whose name was Humphrey, right? We're going to talk more about Humphrey in a minute because he's very critical to this idea that's coming up. But Humphrey, and that was my sister's bird. Well, then, you know, my sister and they, everybody kind of had fun with the bird. It was kind of fun. So my, I don't know if it was my dad or mom or what, but they got a second bird. It was an African gray, um, and it, they named it Pogo, and it was for my brother, right? And then, of course, you know, the third kid can't be left out. And so even though I was really young, they got me a bird. And, you know, birds don't like young kids, by the way, in case you didn't know that. But we got a bird, and that bird didn't work out. So they traded that bird, got another bird. They traded that bird, got another bird. Anyways, so we ended up with a, a blue and gold macaw, like a beautiful bird named Max. So we had an African gray, a blue and gold macaw, and an Amazon yellow nape in our house. Most of my years growing up, almost all the years growing up, until I got to high school. And... It was always interesting because the silliness of life that would happen sometimes with these birds was just hilarious. I mean, there's all sorts of stories I could tell you, but one of my favorites to look back and think about, and that always gives me a chuckle, is whenever, you know, you're at that age when you start spending the night at your friends, and my friends would come over, spend the night, and it'd be like six in the morning. And back in the day, before cell phones, when you had kids in your house, when someone called the house and asked for whoever didn't answer the phone but someone else, you know what happened, right? right? Sometimes you muted, you covered the, the phone, sometimes you didn't, but the kids would yell, Jason, telephone, or Melissa, telephone, or very rarely, John, telephone, right? You would yell it, yell it over and over, and so at 6 a.m., almost every morning of my household, the birds would start up, and guess what they'd say? They would go, this Humphrey was the, the culprit, main culprit in this, the blue, the, or the yellow nape, and Humphrey would go, then it would sing all the, he had this whole repertoire of songs he would sing and do things and all this stuff it was a whole like great show i mean you could come over my house and eat popcorn and just watch this bird right but he would just start screaming and then when no one would pay him attention he'd just go ah, ah, ah. and my friends you know we were so sleepy because of course we'd be up late at night and they'd look at me and they'd go dude your mom's calling you to get the phone. <laughs> and I would turn to them, I'd look at them, and I'd go, dude, that's my bird. <laughs> and you'd just say, it was priceless. The look that would come over their face like, oh, I just entered in the night circle of hell. Oh, no, what just happened, right? And, of course, just the silliness of that, right? Like, just those, those moments of life that make you laugh, but, like, how is God going to use that, right? How is God using that in the life of those who loved him? Well, you know, there's probably all sorts of ways God can use that, but I always come to Scripture, and there's sometimes Scripture, you know, you kind of paraphrase it in your own words, right? In a very, very famous passage in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the book, it's a chapter of love. So if you've ever been to a wedding, almost a lot of times you'll hear this 
these verses, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, right? And it goes on and on and on. But right before it gets to that, that part of it, the very beginning of chapter 13 says these words. Before he introduces what love is and talks about it, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries of all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I have nothing. Now that first part, right, that love, if you, love, if you don't have love, it's a resounding clang. The Jonathan Mann paraphrase of the Bible says this, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a squawking Humphrey parrot at 6 a.m. in the morning, right? Because it is just that. But it helps you, you know, like God has used even those silly things, right, to actually help understand what it is and what he's saying in Scripture and how to understand it in our life and becomes very real I haven't had much experience with clanging cymbals per se, but I've had lots of experience with squawking Humphrey the bird, which I told you here about and could tell you a lot more stories about those birds later. But let's up the ante, right? Because that's a silly thing in life, you know, all that stuff. But what about like those fears you have, right? The legitimate fears, like our pain, right? Just those things you'd want to avoid in your life, but like just come seem bind you somehow, right? No matter what you're doing in life. Well, this is getting a little personal, but I'll share with you just one of the things that's on my heart, even right now, in this, this day, is uh, the housing market's pretty hot right now, right? You notice that? Anybody not notice that? Right? Missed the boat? Everywhere in the world, hot, scalding hot, 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 can't touch it, can't throw money at it to get a house, right, type of thing. Now, of course, as you think about this, if, if you're here today and you're looking for a house, you, you understand, you know, what goes through your mind in this moment, because it seems like in one year, what used to be attainable is no longer attainable for a whole bunch of Americans. I mean, it's just gone off the table. And unless we see, you know, prices go dip down at some point in the future or however that's going to work. But of course, as you read all the, the articles about it and all this stuff, you know, if you're in a growing city with the millennial generations that are the largest generation, right? We've, we've kind of had this taper off and now we're going back up and this is now the largest past the baby boomers generation. It's gonna be hard, like it's, it's hard to see how this dips in the long term, right? It just seems like it's gonna keep climbing and going up and going up. And of course, one of the things that goes through my mind, of course, with what we've had conversations about denominational talks and stuff like that is, can I don't own a house, right? Like you guys provide a parsonage for us, which is beautiful, awesome, great. But there are scenarios, right, where if I needed to go somewhere different than where you guys would go and choose to go if the denominational split happens and when it happens, Kelly and I might have to buy a house in the middle of the hottest housing market ever, right? And the money we've saved is meaningless in that market. Like, it's just, it's utterly meaningless. Like, we've tried to put money back, all that stuff. It's just utterly meaningless. And so, of course, the fear that one of the things that pops up in my head occasionally is, what do I do with my wife and kids? Like, how are we going to do this? Where would we live, right? What happens to a lot of their things that they love? Like, we're going to have to be getting rid of all those, you know? And I, we just sold the, a little, one of these little kid blocks, you know, with like all the different little things on it, wooden block things. And like, my son was devastated, right? He's, he's outgrown it, like, he's two years too old for this thing at this point. But, you know, it's just devastating. And I'm thinking, like, man, we might have like the yard sale, right? We just, just thinking through all that. Now, of course, 
that alone is a little fear, but to just make that even more personal, you have to know sort of my story before this, is when I was younger, my house got repossessed. And I distinctly remember my dad sitting down and having this conversation with me. My brother and sister were actually moved. They'd been in college at this point, so they were away from the house. But he, he sat me down and he said, you know, um, we're good, the bank's going to take the house back. And he said, you know, I'm not sure what to expect, but I think tomorrow when they come to get it, I think they're basically going to bring locks on the doors and we're going to step out of the house and you'll see locks on the doors. And we'll jump in a car and go. And he just looked at me and said, you know, I, I just, I'm the, was the primary, you know, person in our family that earned the money, and I failed you, you know, and I remember him telling me those stories. And, I, and from there, we, we got, if you guys know what a 300ZX is, it's a small sports car with, like, little bucket seats in the back. So you can imagine Teenage John, Mom and Dad, and Bird Pogo, right, at the time. We had to find, Bird, we had to find homes for all of them, but Pogo came with us, and we had Pogo the Bird, all the belongings we could fit in a 300ZX and move from Georgia to Dallas, Texas, where we stayed in a one-room hotel room, like one of those extended stay things, and I did my junior year in that one-room hotel room. And of course, a junior in high school, being around parents and bird 24-7, right, you know, like it just made it, made it pretty rough and pretty hard. And I remember thinking to myself in those moments, I will never let my kids go through something like this. And I made a vow to myself that day. I said, you know what? My kids will always have their own room matter what else I do. I, I make sure that happened, right? Now, fast forward the story. I ended up having to go live with my aunt for a while and do different things. Fast forward the story. Parents finally were able to get a house, all that stuff. And it almost, it almost happened again, right? Just because of weird quonky donk stuff that happened. It wasn't even their fault. But almost happened again. So, like, there's been basically one huge event, almost two, and, you know, potentially a third event of my life where it's like, you know, you, you made A's. You, you did everything. You don't do drugs. You don't, you know, like... <laughs> You do everything that you can right, and like just somehow life comes back circle almost like it's like you can't you can't outrun it, right? And and maybe you've had something like that, maybe something very different in your life, of course, but maybe something that like no matter how much you try to get ahead of it, somehow it just finds you, right? It just it keeps coming back, right? And it's like this wolf that hounds you and keeps coming. And when I sit there and I think of that fear and that anxiety. And I sit there and I think of the calling that's placed upon my life. And I read those teachings of Jesus. Of, hey, get up and follow. I have a better understanding, right, of the faith that's needed in those moments. That even in that hurt of, like, that pain in the past that actually, you know, almost happened a second time and, like, not that I think it's awfully certain, but it is a possibility, right, that could be facing the future of me and my family. Like, it takes faith to walk. And to say, I'm not going to just throw every single thing I can to, you know, put my trust in house, if you will, but put your trust in the Lord and walk where he leads. And so that's not something that's been totally resolved, but nonetheless, I can see even God's hand working through it who are for the good of those who love him. But this life is so fleeting and the afflictions that we face in this moment that God's so much more worried about the character that he produces inside me and my family that it takes faith to walk. The pain and the hurt. It's up the ante. What about those horrible things? I mean, truly, truly horrible things. I've explained to you uh, in the past about my, you know, I've told you some hurts in my life and things like that. 
Of course, I've shared with you about my mother passing away in 2009 of colon cancer. What I almost never talk about, though, is the actual death of my mother. I'm gonna spare you the details today, but the actual death was horrendous. She had home hospice, was living you know, in, in the house that they had at the time, and basically our dining room got converted into the hospice bed area. And my sister and brother and dad, all of us, you know, were there in the house, and she had this kind of extended kind of two-week-to-a-month kind of hospice stay at the house. Much of that time was used very well, right? There was all sorts of memories that were made and conversations had and lots of hold, hand-holding and being by your side. But when it came to that actual moments of death, you know, you always hear those stories of someone passing peacefully, their sleep or those stories of where someone just kind of says that last thing, lets go of their breath, and just is at peace. That wasn't the experience of what I had. I'll spare you the details, but for those in the medical field, imagine like the black bile. That. Horrendous. It was horrible. It was something that I would never wish upon the worst enemy of the whole humanity ever in the world. And yet it happened to someone that I love so dearly that truly loved people that lived according to the gospel of Christ, probably one of the biggest people I've ever known to love people like my mom. And I think about that, like how, you know, and these quite so when I think back on it in this moment, like there's a part of me that just wants to stop the sermon, go back down to my office, shut the door, and just yell at God. Like, why? Why, why, why? This is not fair, this is not okay, and it's not good. Like there's nothing good that happened in that moment. Yet I encounter this first. The challenge, of course, is how in the world is God using those moments for the good of those who love him? Senseless pain and devastation of true, horrible, horrendous horribleness. Well, I've told you once before, I, I've had two profound experiences in my life. When my mom passed away, um, I remember this feeling of not just loss, but it just felt like she was totally gone. And I didn't expect that. I expect like, kind of this feeling like a guardian angel almost watching over you or something like that. And it wasn't like that at all for me. I, I kind of went through this thing, and I talked to friends that had lost parents and stuff like that, and I said, like, did you, do you ever feel like they're with you? And, and like, all this type of stuff, we had these conversations, and I was just devastated by the idea that it just felt like obliteration, like they're just gone. And, and I don't explain it other than just this empty hole kind of feeling. And I remember it went on and on and on and on, and I really wrestled with it, really wrestled with it. Of course, spent a lot of time in prayer. And uh, I've told you about, I've had two visionary experiences in my life. Here's the first one. I've already told you the second one about uh, before. But the first one was this, is sitting there at night, just thinking about things, couldn't sleep, all that stuff, and just sitting up in bed, and all of a sudden had a visionary experience, right? And the visionary experience was my mom coming to me. And, and I can't really describe it other than just a person, bright lights all around them, like radiant. And my mom was young again, like kind of like the pictures when you see when they were, she's young. And, uh, you know, young and beautiful, just healthy and all that stuff. And she told me, I'll never forget it. It's okay. I'm okay. And like, I know that sounds weird. You know, it sounds like your pastor has a bunch of hallucinations. No, I've only had two, right? And both of them I told you now, and you now know all those things. But I remember that feeling, and when the vision kind of ended, I remember a profound peace on my life. And honestly, the, the most peace I've ever had in my whole entire life, except that second visionary experience, where, like, I mean, it was utter peace. And still, to this day, I can remember that, and I'm so sure that that happened than I am that there's oxygen in this room that I'm breathing. Like, 
it was that powerful of a, of a kind of experience. And it was very short, very lived, and all that stuff, but the peace stayed with me through it all. Now, of course, that moment was horrible when I think back of my mom dying. But when I compare that moment to the visionary experience that I experienced, there's no comparison. There's not. Like, in the grand scheme of weights and scales, it doesn't matter, right? And I don't have an explanation of why it had to happen that way or anything like that, but like, I can just say, in the grand scheme, so what, right? I often thought, you know, before that moment that I would get before God, I'd be, okay, God, let me answer why, right? And after that visionary experience, I don't even know if I'm gonna even remember it, right? Like, I mean, it was that powerful of a moment and that powerful of a, of a visionary experience of just the overwhelming sense of goodness, love, peace, power, like everything you can describe in that moment. And I come to this verse, and yet God says, all things, all things, work for the good of those who love him, who's been called according to his purpose. It's easy to say that. It's easy to put on a bumper sticker. It'd be really hard in the moment to believe it. Yet yeah, what well, my experience would tell me, and maybe your experiences do too, that it's true. And when you're going through that moment where it seems like everything's crashing down, and again, that great big bad wolf, that great dragon comes to your life, hold on tight to that promise. God's promises that he's using. All things, not just for his glory, but for the good of those who love him. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your word. And God, as we think about our lives, there's so many instances of our lives that, especially in the moment that they come across us, that they feel either too big, too great, too horrible, or even just too just random, to feel like there's something that you're using in our life to produce good in us. And yet, God, that's exactly what your word says is happening to us. And that, God, if we put our trust in you, if we just stay on that track and keep on walking in step with faith and faith, that even those things that are the biggest hurts of our lives, God, you can use them for good. Not just for others, but even ourselves. And so, God, we take hold of that promise here today and we hold tightly to it. We put our trust and faith in you. You alone are the Lord, and we are so thankful that you've called us to be yours. Pray this in your name. Amen.